What's up, everyone? Knuckleheads MMA Podcast for UFC Fight Night Sao Paulo. It is Jan Wachowicz versus Jacare Souza. I'm Tim. I'm here again with Lee. We're talking fucking Lee. Hello, everybody. So we're coming off of UFC Fight Night Moscow. Uh, not the best event, and I don't normally say that, so that's probably making a statement. No, not the most fun UFC and and not a bunch of recognizable names because when they go to Russia and in Moscow, they're obviously trying to get local talent there. They even had Khabib's cousin, which was a little bit of a bust. But yeah, not not the greatest card. Um, Sort of a daytime card as well. So, you know, it's nice to watch fights, but uh, we'll forget about this card pretty much right after this podcast. Yeah, I think think this main card in Sao Paulo is uh, looking pretty good, uh, and we'll get into that in a minute. But first, let's talk about what we learned from Moscow. Uh, what did you learn from UFC Moscow, Lee? Well, the first thing I learned is what we already said, which was it was a lackluster, if not semi-boring card. And along with that is the fact that Greg Hardy is actually a boring fighter. Um, with all the hype or potential being hyped about Greg Hardy, and the backstory of him being thrown into a fight that most people didn't think he was ready for yet. I think we've seen that Greg Hardy's best asset right now is his power, but it's not like he's ever going to develop into a great all-around mixed martial artist. You just cannot do that in, in combat sports. So I just think Greg Hardy really is not that exciting. That's my first thing. Funny you should say that, Lee, because... That is a lot like something I learned from UFC <laughs> Moscow. And that is, I'm okay with Greg Hardy using this inhaler between every round. Because uh, I don't want to watch his fights where he only throws 30 strikes around and doesn't wrestle at all and doesn't knock anybody out. Boring. What else did you learn? Well, I learned that Calvin Qatar got screwed. Uh, not only from having to have the fight go from Boston to fight Zabit. Uh, and Boston is essentially his hometown. He lives about 30 miles away. Um, but it also went from a five round to a three round main event because of the short notice of the change in location. So he got screwed because he started coming on in the third round and that should have been a five round main event. So Calvin, it got screwed. Yeah, uh, the takeaway from the main event was everybody wants to see a five round main event. Yeah. The other thing I learned from UFC Moscow is there is now a tenth planet in our solar system, and it's named Lungiambula <laughs> after <laughs> after Magomed Enkalov kicked Dasha Lungiambula's chin into outer space. <laughs> yeah. And that is what we learned from UFC Moscow. Ugh, boring. Yeah, not the best one. The main event, though, was was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and like you said, it was getting better. Uh, yeah, it was getting better. So, like, did you you thought that Zabit won the fight, though, right? Yeah, I thought Zabit won the fight. Uh, but I'm not so sure that two rounds later, if it went the distance, that that outcome would have been the same. Well, and dog. I think your dog just agreed. Yeah. Your dog agreed. 
So yeah. we're all on board. She she's a big Calvin Cater fan. Uh, who isn't? Good looking guy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's 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 been and he's been really like rolling lately. And I don't think yeah. this uh, I don't think this loss takes away from that. I think it was a good performance. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, and to, to cap this conversation off right here, I think that's an excellent point. And also, it may have actually hurt Zabit a little bit more because yeah. he's looked pretty ordinary his past couple fights. So, you know, I think a little bit of that 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 hype he had, you know, still very talented. But, yeah, I think you're right. doesn't hurt Calvin. It may have actually hurt Khabib slightly. And, again, the dog agrees. So <laughs> nothing else to say. All right. So now we want to talk about uh... – the Nick Diaz interview with Ariel Hawani. Uh, Lee? Yeah, so Ariel Hawani had this exclusive, uh, you know, sit-down interview uh, with Nick Diaz. He hasn't talked to him in a long time. Nick has obviously uh, been very behind the scenes lately. Nate has clearly jumped ahead as the number one Diaz brother in mixed martial arts. Um, and, you know, you and I talked about this uh, offline, but we are all used to the Diaz brothers having a bit of a different approach to interviews. I think we can agree that Nate has become more and more comfortable on the mic as he's become arguably the most popular fighter in the UFC. Uh, obviously, he still has what I call those Diazisms, the way he constructs his sentences and says certain things, but there's absolutely no doubt that he has come out of the shadow of his brother and he's more comfortable with the media. And I think most of the time really enjoys it. But then there's Nick. And if anyone has not watched this interview, what I would do is pause this and, and go find it and watch it. Um, you know, these two have had, according to many people, a little bit of social anxiety, uh, I guess disorder. So I'm not, and you're not definitely looking to make fun of that at all. But there were some unsettling things in this interview. Um, I've got to be perfectly honest with you, and I might sound like a jerk. There were moments where the way he constructed his thoughts and sentences, I, I literally had no idea what he was talking about. Um, you know, he wasn't always addressing the questions directly, and if he was, it would last for five seconds, and then it would veer off into some kind of rant. And on top of that, you know, there's been this speculation that if you just follow different MMA sites that, you know, Nick has sort of distanced himself from Nate and vice versa. Um, so there's just some troubling things, you know. Um, and I found this interview to be perplexing. Um, and I didn't take a whole hell of a lot out of it other than there's slight concern for Nick. Um and yeah, yeah. that I'm not sure that he has warm feelings for Nate's success. But the biggest thing, and we'll talk about all these, is I don't really need to see him fight again. So no. those are the big headlines to me. But how did you feel coming out of it? Well, not only do I not need to see him fight again, but I don't think he really wants to fight again. He That's kind of what he said. At least that's what I took from it. He said right. that he would fight again, and he wanted to like make it clear that he still thinks he could beat people. But he doesn't necessarily want to, and he also said he doesn't want Nate to fight anymore. And he said that he, he doesn't think Nate wants him to fight anymore. Like, right. It's more like something that they're forced to do with their like lack of education and uh, rough upbringing that they kind of just like fell into fighting as uh, the answer for them. Mm -hmm. And I, I agree with you uh, 
on a few things where he did come off as not very happy with Nate's success. But I, th- I think it's probably more uh, more that he's disappointed that he never really reached that kind of like level of recognition from mainstream audiences. 100%. More than he's like not happy for him. I'm sure he's happy for Nate because he, he, they both care about each other a lot, I think. Yes. Uh, but Nick has a great record. He's, he's uh, done some really great things in MMA. Uh, he went on an 11-fight win streak, uh, like in the mid-2000s. Uh, mostly not in the UFC, but against uh, a very decent competition. Yep. Uh, so he did a lot, but he never really made anywhere near the money that Nate's been making. You know, Nate seems to understand that if he wants to get that payday, he's got to be active on social media, with the traditional media. He seems to have progressed and, and grasped that. Yeah. And uh, Nick just, you know, you got to give him credit. He's stuck to his old school ways. Like, he, he doesn't give a crap about that. When he does talk, it's it's his agenda. So, yeah, you, you're definitely on to something there. Yeah, he took a couple shots, almost, you would think, at Nate, with uh, what you're saying, where he referred to him as a family man. He, he mm-hmm. did that on, like, two or three occasions. And that kind of is, like, I guess what you're talking about, where it's almost like he's selling out, and now, now he's a family man. Yeah, it's it's, it's just, it was such a strange interview, um, and even if you take it all the way to the end, where Ariel Helwani asked him, "Are you happy?" and and that was probably Ariel's way of acknowledging without making the interview controversial. But what I'm saying is, it was probably Ariel's way of acknowledging that, man, this was a really odd interview. Are you okay? But he. You know, I told you this offline. Ariel would never stop what Nick wants to say and be like, "Hey, man, you're saying some weird stuff. You're not making sense." Or, you know, he was just saying, "Are you happy?" And uh, Nick pretty much said no. Yeah. I think the first word he said was no, and then yeah. he sort of slightly backtracked. But you know, like it's like, man, there's something. I, I, I you know, it, it was just a little um, concerning, but. The, at the takeaway is, yeah, don't fight again, man. You know, I don't think Nick would come back and be a championship contender. So, and I think the UFC's moved on as well. It was just a really, really odd interview. A really odd interview. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think he's happy, and, and I uh, I worry about him uh, with the drinking that's kind of been talked about a lot lately. He, yeah. he doesn't look good, like physically, like in his face, you can tell like he's having some Yeah, trouble. a little bloated, yeah, right? He's not yeah, in shape like yeah. he normally is. Right. But, um, you know, I can say this, if he did come back, we're definitely both going to watch it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> at the end of, at the end of the day. With that, let's move into the breakdown for fight night. Sao Paulo kicking off the first fight of the main card. We have Marcus Perez versus Wellington Terman. Perez coming in as a minus 130 favorite. Uh, Perez alternating wins and losses in his UFC career, but he's lost to some decent fighters in uh, Eric Anders and Andrew Sanchez. Uh, And then you have Terman coming off of a really close uh, competitive decision against Carl Roberson, uh, making this a pretty interesting fight. Uh, how do you see this fight going late? Well, um, first and foremost, Terman shares my birthday, July 22nd. So that's <laughs> very, very important. Um, you know, I, I, I think there's a reason why a fight like this is kicking off the main card. 
both of these guys' striking defense is really not great. Uh, they both can and likely will get hit. Uh, Perez absorbs 4.24 significant strikes per minute. His striking defense is at 49%. Terman gets hit 3.33 uh, times per minute with significant strikes. And his striking D is even worse at 37%. Um, I think for me, the question is whether Terman's going to take this fight to the ground. He averages about four takedown attempts per 15 minutes, and he executes just about 57% of them. But Perez has really, really good takedown defense at 81%, and he also somebody who subbed Ian Heinish, and he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. So, you know, overall, I just think that Perez is is just going to be prepared either on the ground or to have a stand-up fight. Uh, with Terman, and I think he'll win this uh, fight by decision, though. My problem with Perez is uh, I just don't think he does enough uh, for me. He lands less than three strikes per minute. He averages less than two takedowns per fight. Uh, Like you were saying, Terman averages four takedowns per fight. So for two guys that haven't really proven themselves too much, like you definitely have Perez coming with more UFC experience in this. But Terman had a good showing against Carl Roberson. Uh, He's not a heavy underdog. I'm going to pick him in the first fight. Uh, I'll go with Wellington Terman. All right. Second fight, uh, we have two guys that are making their proper UFC debuts in Antonio Arroyo and Andre Muniz. Uh, Muniz line... uh, dropping a little bit he's now coming in at a minus 106 favorite he used to be more heavily favored earlier in the week both of these guys from the contender series both have fought on it twice and won twice both of them winning first time by decision and second time by submission uh muna's got a rear naked choke in the first round and arroyo got an arm triangle late in the second round uh this makes for a pretty good matchup, I would think, uh, two evenly matched fighters. How do you see this fight, Lee? Um, well, I got to be honest with you. It, it, it's sort of tough to gauge the caliber of fighters these guys are in terms of being US, UFC caliber fighters because their opponents have sort of been like these nondescript opponents. So, you know, they, they both appear to have skills on the ground. Munez has a win over Paulo Filo in 2014. Take that for what you will. He also has a lot more experience than Arroyo. Uh, Arroyo appears to be, you know, a high-volume striker. Um, but Muniz, you know, only absorbs about, you know, 1.67 significant strikes per minute. In short, I just think that Muniz, being the more experienced fighter, is going to get the win here. That's my short and brief to-the-point analysis. Okay. Yeah, it, it is hard to gauge... Uh where these guys would stand in the UFC. But I think, uh, like I was talking about, their contender series backgrounds being so closely matched, I do think they're a good matchup, at least on paper, for each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, And with their numbers being pretty close, I'm going to look at things like uh, Muniz having more experience. Uh, He has, I would think, the submission advantage. Uh, He has 12 submission wins. I, I think that advantage goes to Munez. It's possible Arroyo could knock him out, but he only has four knockouts and his nine career wins. I don't like the ride heavily on knockout 
uh, being the only clear advantage. So with that, I don't see really anything leading me to pick a Royal over Muniz. So I'm going to go with Muniz. All right. Okay, so for the next fight, we have a big one, especially for this podcast. We have Charles Oliveira versus Jared Gordon. Uh, Oliveira is a minus 375 favorite now. Uh, His line (laughs) is going up. Uh, He's the biggest favorite on the slate. Uh, It's a big fight for Jared Gordon, and it's also a big fight for uh, Queens, New York, and Lee. So uh, how do you see this fight, Lee? Yeah, for people who have listened to this podcast, I'm from Astoria, Queens, where Jared Gordon is from. I, uh, you know, full disclosure again, huge, huge fan of Jared Gordon, not just as a fighter, but as as a person. I love his story. I love what he's about. Uh, That said, I always try and be fair and balanced and tell it like it is. And there is absolutely no doubt that he should be a big underdog in this fight. This is by far his biggest uh, challenge. Um, some people even question the matchmaking here. It's it's a little bit odd. Some people wonder what this does for Oliveira. Now, that said, Jared Gordon is tough. He is tough, and he's willing to bring it. Um, but like I said, brutal matchup for Gordon. It's in Brazil. Uh, step up in competition. Oliveira's won five in a row, six of, uh, six of his last seven. Five of those wins were submissions. Uh, his last fight was a second round stoppage via strikes with Nick Lentz. Um, the loss in that five of six that I mentioned was ironically to Gordon's teammate, Paul Felder, a second round stoppage due to elbow. So Gordon and Felder are very close. And there's, there's no doubt that Felder has provided Gordon uh, a roadmap. Um, so, you know, there, there is a path to success it, you know, via Felder. It's just a question of whether Gordon can execute it. Also to note, Oliveira's got the most win, uh, submission wins in UFC history with 13. Gordon, uh, you know, he's lost two of his last three. He got stopped via strikes in those two losses. Now, I'm not saying the fight's not going to go to the ground. They're obviously both not afraid to go there. But I do expect to see some brawl-type moments, some moments where they're fighting in a phone booth, so to speak, because Jared sort he tends to get sucked into this. Um, his striking has improved. It looked crisp in his last fight. Both do get hit a lot, uh, statistically. Um but Gordon, you know, can get rocked. And there's certainly a situation where if he does get rocked, he can get stopped via, you know, KO stoppage. Or if he goes to the ground, Olivera can just say, hey, I'm going to choke you out. Um, big, big, big key here, in my opinion, because I do believe that they will engage in striking for a good amounts of time. Olivera's six-inch reach advantage is, is, a, is a big, big thing. Because if Jared, if they do start brawling, Gordon's head movement is key, man. If he starts to stiffen up like he does sometimes, it gets hit a lot, he's going to get picked apart. So that six-inch reach advantage may be tough for Jared to like get inside and do his thing with. Um, I hate to say it, but um, I just think Oliveira right now is on another level, and he's going to win this by a late submission. But I do think Jared's going to put up a good fight. And I do want to say that it would not surprise me at all if Jer- if Jared Gordon wins his fight via stoppage, via strikes, but I just believe Oliver is going to win this fight by submission and, and what should be a very entertaining fight. How do you feel? Uh, I feel uh, offended for Jared Gordon based on you not picking him. 
Uh, well, I mean, I got to be real, you know? I, 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 I want to be wrong. Yeah, I always pick the fighters that I feel uh, closer to. Like, if Ben Saunders is fighting like he is on the next card, I'll pick Ben Saunders. <laughs> uh, it's okay, though. So, like we, like what you were saying about the uh, both of these guys having the ability to take the fight down. The other thing about that is both of them are not very good at stopping takedowns. So if they want to, if they want to take the fight down, which it would definitely benefit Oliveira if it went down, they both have the ability to do that. Like you brought up, uh, Paul Felder stopping Charles Oliveira in their fight. I think that is Jerry Gordon's opportunity to win is getting a stoppage. Also, I don't really see him winning a decision in this fight. Mm-hmm. But Gordon lands six point two nine strikes per minute, which is a very very high rate. Uh, it's something yes. I always like to see when I'm picking fights. Uh, Oliveira only lands 3.18, which is very average. Uh, I I like to pick people in high fours, and then five and six is even better. But Oliveira has as many wins by submission as Jared Gordon has uh, professional fights. Uh, but in all 18 fights Jared Gordon has, he has never been submitted. Uh, all three of his losses are coming by way of knockout. In, in 27 career fights, uh, career wins, Oliveira only has seven knockouts and only one in his UFC career going all the way back to 2010. So, this is a tall order for Jared Gordon. Uh, you're right that a lot of people have uh, commented about the matchmaking. Some people think that Oliveira shouldn't be taking this fight. Uh, it's dangerous for him to lose to somebody like this at a, a time when he could be positioning himself for a title shot. But with the, uh, with the great striking advantage and uh, the ability to really equalize it with takedowns and Oliveira's only defending takedowns at a 58% rate. And based on you not picking Jared Gordon, I'm going to pick Jared Gordon to win this fight. Well, I, I do want to say I, I literally and truthfully hope you are right and that yeah. I'm wrong. Because I will be rooting for Jared Gordon. Ah, I know you are. Trying to be a a professional here for (laughs) all you people. Okay. That brings us to the co-main event of the evening. We have uh, Mauricio Shogun Hua versus Paul Craig. Uh, Hua coming in right now is a minus 265 favorite. Shogun is truly one of the greats. He has been fighting since 2002. And every time you think he has nothing left, he turns in another good performance. Uh... About a year ago in Australia, he knocked out Tyson Pedro. I was heavily on Pedro in that fight. Uh, 2017, he knocked out John Volante. Uh, his opponent here, though, is Paul Craig, somebody that can get hurt but can also be very dangerous uh, if you approach him on his back. We've seen him get two super late triangle wins. Uh, he is a guy that a lot of people say is always in the fight. Uh, Shogun a little bit later in his career, a little bit older, uh, maybe provides an opportunity that Paul Craig might be able to catch him in something. But how do you see this one, Lee? Well, you know, let's start with Craig. I mean, 11 of his 12 wins are via submission. So even if Shogun rocks Craig, he definitely has to be careful on the ground. Because like you said, you know, if Craig is on his back, um, he can be dangerous. I know Shogun's a legit BJJ black belt too, but you know, on his back, that's the strength of Craig. Um, Shogun's last submission loss 
interesting, interestingly enough, was about six years ago to Chael Sonnen, of all people, by guillotine. Um, and before that, his last submission loss was six years before that to Forrest Griffin. I remember. Um, I remember. Yeah. So, you know, Shogun, like you alluded to, he's been on a bit of a resurgence. He sticks around. He's won four of his last five. He's almost 38 years old. You know, there's no doubt he's going to come out striking. He's going to, uh, you know, look to knock Craig out. Um, but the question is, he's almost 38. How much does he have left in his gas tank? We have to remember that Craig's also a late replacement for Sam Alvey. So, you know, there's no question, in my opinion, no disrespect to Alvey or Craig, that the UFC wants to continue the Shogun, you know, hype train, not hype train, but the Shogun, you know, success train here, because those are two fighters, I think, that he should beat, even at almost 38 years old. So, you know, if he doesn't win this fight, I'm hoping that he considers hanging it up. But uh, I do think he will come out aggressive. He'll take the fight to Craig, test his chin. And Craig obviously should not exchange with Shogun. He only has one KO win. But you never know what happens. As strikers age, the chin can go. That said, I think Shogun's going to win via stoppage. This is, this is a tough one. Uh, it's a tough one to make a pick on. Uh, Shogun is the better striker. And he's a better wrestler. Uh, really, Craig... His path to victory is catching Shogun in a submission. Uh, I think you might have said Shogun's only been submitted three times in his 37 professional fights. The other thing that we haven't really seen Craig display too much is like great striking. We've we've seen him land like uh, uh, a head kick every now and then, and I just have a feeling. I got a feeling that he is live to land something like a big shot on the feet. I just don't think, uh, I don't think Shogun takes shots that well anymore. He has kind of like that old school, like shoot box, uh, wild striking like Vanderly Silva. I yep. could, I could see Craig getting hurt with that. Uh, cause we've seen Paul Craig get hurt, but I could also see Shogun getting hurt from a counter shot from Craig. And then maybe if he could drop uh, Craig finding a submission. Yeah. Uh, Shogun could get takedowns if he wants to. Craig only defends at a 50% rate. Uh, I don't really see him doing too much with the takedown, though. And then that is where he would be probably at the most danger in the fight if he's playing mm-hmm. in Paul Craig's guard. Uh, the numbers really say Shogun, uh, but I'm kind of... I'm kind of picking weird on this card. So I'm just going to keep going with it. Uh, and I'm going to pick Paul Craig for an upset here. All right. I like it. I mean, that's, that's a big upset pick right there, you know? Uh, yeah. Go- Craig, uh, I mean, I think he lands decent kicks. And the one thing, uh, not the one thing, but another thing about him is he's not afraid to go after stuff. So he'll throw like a spinning elbow or like a high kick. And I, I like his chances of getting something here. But uh, no, we'll see. Let's take it to the main event of the evening. Uh, this is a big one. Uh, we have Jacare Souza moving up to 205. Uh, his first test is against uh, Jan Blakovich. Blakovich is kind of on a run. Uh, a lot of people are looking for him to get a title shot. He doesn't get one yet here. He has to welcome in Jacare Souza. But Blakovich is a minus 210 favorite in this fight. 
Jacare coming off his uh, disappointing loss to Jack Hermanson. He kind of contemplated his career after that one, and that led him to try to move up weight classes. We've seen Chris Wyvin have a very bad time making a similar move. Uh, but we've also seen people like Tiago Santos have uh, more success. So uh, it's yet to be seen how that's going to go for Jacare. Uh, and then Blakovic has won five of his last six, including a win over Jared Cannonier. Uh, how do you see the main event of the evening going, Lee? You know, Jacare moving up to light heavyweight at almost 40 years old is, is concerning. And, you know, Blakovic is, is simply the bigger guy. Uh, he's got a six-inch reach advantage. He's got legit power, legit power with his hands and even his kicks. Uh, like you alluded to, he's on a roll. He's won four of his last five. Um, you know, Jacare has lost three of his last five, although that was at middleweight. Um, his path to victory, Jacare, is, is his grappling, obviously. His grappling, I mean, obviously world-class. And, and I don't think... Even at this age, you know, he's going to lose any steam there. Moving up against a bigger, stronger guy, even in the grappling department, facing a bigger, stronger guy. It's just going to be interesting to see. I mean, you know, Jacare is a strong guy, too. Does it carry over to his grappling at this weight class? I know that Jacare does not get stopped often. But I also know that, you know, like we saw against Weidman, like he's willing to engage striking-wise as well. And he's got some pop. He's got some power. You know, you think about his grappling and his subs, but he's got, you know, he can he can, he can, can throw down. But if, I think if he does that too much with Blakovic, he's, he's walking right into his opponent's strengths. And um, I don't know, man. This could be the third straight fight on this card where we see Brazilian favorites go down if Oliveira loses and Shogun loses. But at the same time, it could be three straight fights where their heroes win. But... I think Blakovic is going to win this fight. I, I'm actually going to predict that he stops Jacare. I think the, uh, he's a little bit too much for Jacare at this weight class. Ah, I didn't even realize that I was uh, picking against Brazilians like that. That's not usually <laughs> <laughs> that's not usually how these cards go. Uh, but yeah, Jacare is a true legend. Uh, he's one of my favorite fighters of all time. He's one of the most decorated jiu-jitsu fighters the UFC has ever had. But Blakovich hasn't been submitted since 2007. Uh, Jacare will be outlanded in the feet on this fight, and he will be taking shots from someone that should be quite a lot bigger than him. Uh, yes. I expect Jacare to be able to take it. I don't expect him to be uh, hurt badly, at least not quickly, by any strikes from uh, Blakovich. He's only been knocked out once in the UFC, and Blakovich isn't necessarily a knockout artist. My concern for Jacare in this fight is this fight ending up a lot like the Hermanson fight, where Jacare is uh, seemingly unable to just get anything going, and he's frustrated. Jacare should be able to get some takedowns. Uh, Blakovich's takedown defense is not as good as Hermanson, and, and Blakovich's losses. He has been taken down several times. He was taken down four times by Alexander Gustafson. He was taken down three times by Pat Cummins. And he was taken down four times by Corey Anderson. So uh, this is a tough fight. Uh, a tough fight to call. Uh, I'm going to side with Jack Ray in this one. I think he'll be able to uh, get this win. 
uh, by way of uh, takedowns and finding a submission. Maybe he uh, throws it back a little bit and finds uh, Kimura. All right, so I guess that's going to do it for uh, UFC Fight Night Sao Paulo. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. So the UFC is finally taking a break next week. Uh, we might be back with Bellator, but we'll, we'll see about that going forward. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time. See you guys. <laughs>